This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here with Scott Eklund, our recruiting editor. And uh, wow, another bye week, Scott. Um, another week where we've got to uh, kind of maybe fill in some gaps and maybe retrace our steps and uh, talk a little bit about how we got here. But uh, basketball's rolling a little bit. Talk a little bit about that at the end. But mostly right now, what we want to talk about, um, you know, we don't have a show uh, today on KJR, but we did want to talk to everyone out there and kind of give us. Uh, give us uh, their thought or our thoughts about uh, Washington's latest verbal commitment. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't completely out of the blue. We were given a little bit of a heads up. Our, 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 our guys at 24-7, namely Brandon Huffman, kind of knew a little bit about this uh, early on. But Samuel Peacock, 6'6", 265-pound offensive lineman from Gig Harbor from the Tides, has verbally committed to Washington. He did so on Thursday, announced it on Twitter. Originally committed to Oregon State. Uh, kind of helped fill in the gap for us a little bit and and kind of tell us a little bit about what Washington's going to be getting in uh, in Samuel Peacock. First off, do you know who the last Gig Harbor guy was that committed to the University of Washington? He's a big name. And it was during Steve Sarkeesian's time. I was going to say, I thought maybe it was the, oh man, I thought it was maybe the defensive back. No, but then, no, but it was it was definitely a lineman. No, it was. Wait, hold a on. lot of people thought this guy might. Oh, wait, play wait, 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 hold on. It was uh, Corey Durkee. Uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins. I thought, but I thought Corey Durkee was also was Corey Durkee after he was, he was Gig Harbor, but I don't. I thought I th- I thought Uh-oh, they we got, were. We got, got. We already got. We already have a controversy. Oh wow, that is controversial. <laughs> I was. I. You know what? I totally forgot that Durkee was from Gig Harbor. Yeah, there <laughs> so, you go. So um, you, Austin Sperry and Jenkins is who I was thinking. Yeah. Of, so. Nope. And you. You would have. I, I should have immediately tapped onto that one, but I. I'm thinking. I'm honestly thought you would go right for that. I didn't even got even have to give a hint. Okay, I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out the press guide. This is this is really really awful radio, Scott. Yes, we've I already know. thirty I seconds into this thing, and we've already it's the already off is, the rails. What people don't know is before our every show, whether it's on the radio or it's podcast, we talk about hey, what are we going to talk about? This is what we're going to do. Blah blah blah. And of course, I dropped that one, and now it screws everything up. Do you no, see it right yeah. there? We're good. We're good here. Uh, I, I'm I'm taking a look real quick. I know I'm they were right around out. the same time for each other. So Corey Durkee was fifteen. So it's it's I, I I win. Corey Durkee, the last Tides player he, to play for Washington. I thought he committed to Washington when Sark was here, though. Good question. I don't know. Well, he might but, have graduated in twenty fifteen. Yeah, I don't know. He 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 played around fourteen fifteen. So I know that. I know okay. he ended up playing for Pete at some point. So I, I okay. I'm pretty sure he did commit to uh, to Sark. So you're right about that. But. He was the last, not the first, and I, we'd obviously have to go way back to see if yeah. there were, there's. I'm sure there's other Gig Harbor players that have definitely committed 
and played for Washington at some point. Not at least in recent memory. Correct. Correct. I mean, there've been good players come through come through uh, Gig Harbor, but uh, you know, Austin is obviously the biggest name for sure. But uh, Peacock is a guy. Okay, so let's get to Samuel Peacock. Really nice kid. Talked to him last night. Could not be more excited to be a Husky. I mean, this this is a guy who who was planning to be at Washington's Dirt Dogs camp and went down to Oregon State, worked out for them, and I don't want to say he blew out or tore his hamstring, but he said it was pretty bad. And so he just wasn't able to do anything at Washington's camp, wasn't able to go to any more camps. So he didn't earn any offers and didn't get in on a lot of coaches' radars. And so when Oregon State made their offer, he just said, hey, that's it. I'm, I'm going to Oregon State. Well, Washington – you know, Scott Huff didn't get a chance to watch him work out in person or anything like that. So Scott Huff just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you that you committed to Oregon State, but we're just going to keep recruiting you and keep evaluating you and we'll kind of see where things stand. And Washington swooped in and, and said, hey, um, you know, you're, you've proven to us that you're a guy that that would fit exactly what we're looking for on the offensive line. And. You know, at 6'6", 265 pounds, he's got that frame. If you look at him, and he's got a great frame. He's long. Chris, you made a great observation last night on the message boards when you said that you he reminded you of Jared Hilbers. And you know what? I wasn't thinking it at the time, but now that I've thought about it, oh, you couldn't have been more apt in your, in your uh, comparison because I think the two have kind of the same game. They uh, they're, they're long. Neither one of them were really big when they graduated high school. But Jared Hilbers is he's over 300 pounds. I know that now. And, um, you know, I, I, I just see a lot of the same similarities that you did when you made that comparison. Yeah, I remember talking to Jared Hilbers in person at the, you know, the the seven on seven tournament, the um, the opening uh, right before his senior season after he had committed to Washington and you, you just saw a really big athlete, a guy who was right, but he, you know, he, no sloppy weight, nothing like that. He was probably 6'6", 260, 270 at the time. Just, you know, really well put together guy. And I see the exact same thing when I see Samuel Peacock. Yeah, I, I just, you know, and the kid throws the shot, won 3A state last year, and the shot with a 58 11. Um, on his on his throw, so uh, wants to come back and defend his title and try to win it two years in a row. He's pretty excited about that. Just loves to get out and compete. Said uh, one of the things that a lot of people um, kind of missed on him, I think, was the fact that that he just loves to be a, get out and compete and work, and and no one's going to outwork him. And I think that's something that he takes a lot of pride in is that he's going to work until he can't work anymore. And, um, and I, I think that's going to be a big key for him because he's very raw. You know, a lot of, a lot of these high school offensive linemen need two, three years. And he's one of the, those guys that just fits in that category. If you give him two or three years in the strength and conditioning program, in the nutrition program that they have at the university of Washington, and then Scott Huff is able to work on his technique and everything like that. If you give him three years, by the time he's, you know, late as a third-year sophomore or into his junior and senior year, he could be a really nice, solid bookend player for Washington. Now, the first, you know, thought that I had in my mind as soon as I saw the news and 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 heard that Samuel Peacock was going to become a Husky or or sign with Washington, we assume that he's going to sign in mid-December. Is that right? Yes, he's planning to sign in mid-December, but won't enroll until June. Correct. So with all that said, you know, we thought Washington was set. 
on the offensive line with four guys. They're gonna they're gonna lose four seniors that we after, know of. That yeah. we know of. So you've got Trey, you got Trey Adams, you got Nick Harris, you got Jared Hilbers, and you've got Henry Roberts. So Scott Huff has talked about it in the past that they want to be like for like in their numbers for their recruiting classes. So it made sense that they were going to replace four guy, four seniors with four incoming freshmen. Those would have been Gard Memelar, Garen Hatchett, Miles Morale, and Roger Rosengarten. Those were the four guys that were already committed to Washington's offensive class for 2020. And those guys all kind of fit into the spots where that are going to be vacated by the guys who are graduating. Right. So so it so it made sense. Like, okay, they're done. And then all of a sudden Samuel Peacock commits. So my first thought was, and I don't know if it was your first thought, but my first thought was, okay, something's happening with someone in the 2020 class. But what, what was your initial indication? Well, the reason I didn't feel that way, it, the reason, so people like you, Chris, because you don't really talk to that many recruits anymore. You do every now and then, but not very much. And a lot of the, the people who um, are on our message boards, you know, don't talk to recruits, obviously. They shouldn't be talking to recruits. Um, but just knowing, talking to Miles Morale, talking to Roger Rosengarten, and knowing Garen Hatchett and knowing uh, Garden Memoir none of those guys is wavering whatsoever on their commitment to the University of Washington. And Miles Morale, one of, typically one of the things that you need to worry about with kids late in the process is if they've talked to you a lot and then all of a sudden they stop talking to you, right? That's that's kind of the big indicator that something could be messed up and going on. Well, Miles Morale has taken all my texts, taken any call that I've ever made to him, Garden Memelar, I've talked to his mom several times. He's just not a guy who likes talking on the phone, period. And I've talked to uh, Rosengarten and his family, and I've and you know we know Garen and his dad and everything like that. All those people. I mean, I'm not saying nothing could happen. Okay, I don't want to say that, but the reason my um, the reason my thoughts immediately went to there could be someone that is already on the roster leaving for whatever reason, whether it's a medical retirement or transferring from our playing time, whatever it is, I, I, that's where my head went because I've talked to these kids enough to know and just have this gut feel that none of them are going anywhere. Right. So, so once, once I kind of asked around and, and got the sense that, like you said, that all four of those guys are rock solid, then obviously your thoughts lead to, okay, there's going to have to be, some additional attrition on the current roster, and we're not going to speculate. I mean, there's no reason to do that now. But like you said, that's there not could fair be, to those kids. No, it's not. And there and there could be an injury that we don't know about. There could be a situation that we don't know about that impacts a kid, whether it's his family or you know situations that we just don't know about. Frankly, so th- those things happen, and and people need to understand that with the advent of the transfer portal guys are just more apt to to maybe move around a little bit more than maybe they thought they would in in the initial parts of this process when they were in high school still i'm sure they thought that you know they're going to come in and be four-year starters and then go pro and and that's the ideal situation everybody wants that but the numbers dictate that that just can't happen for everybody what i do want to talk though about scott is you know, you talked a little bit in, in, in your impact report, and it's on the front page of dogman.com. I, I encourage everyone to go out and read it. Where do you think Peacock ends up, and, and how do you feel like his spot, because I th- right tackle is where he's normally playing right now, 
And and it feels like, again, with the Hilbers comparison, it could be an easy spot for him to slide right in. Do you feel the same way? Yes, I, I think right guard. Oh, I'm sorry, right tackle will probably be where he ends up. Um, Roger Rosengarten is a left tackle in in the making, and I think that's where he ends up from this class. And so I think Peacock will probably end up at right tackle. It just makes the most sense. There's two tackle spots that you need. He's pretty long. I don't see him playing inside. I mean, he he'll get after you a little bit in the running game, but I you know. He, he just doesn't seem like a guard to me. He seems more like an offensive tackle. Okay. So, and, and also I just, you know, now that we're talking a little bit about the offensive line in general, and, and we did kind of touch on this a little bit on Wednesday night show on KJR, just the idea of, okay, you lose both your tackles. You lose your, you know, your two-year starter at center in Nick Harris. You lose a valuable backup in in Henry Roberts, who's pretty much been able to play everywhere, has starts in multiple positions. You know, you you lose a bunch of guys, but yet it feels like the offensive line for 2020 is still going to be pretty experienced. If you were to take a stab at how you think the offensive line is going to line up first game of 2020, what do you think it's going to look like? Boy, uh <laughs> You know that we're going to – I'm going to be, uh, you know, pitchforked and, and you know, fire, fire, well, lit hey, on To fire. be fair, I'll put mine out as yeah. well. I'll be okay, there right okay. – I'll be there right, right okay, there Okay, let's just you. go position by position for okay. you and I. So okay. left left tackle, I think it's going to be Mateo Mele. I agree. Okay. Um, you know, he's been playing center this year. I think that gave him some valuable experience, but I think his ultimate position is eventually going to be left tackle. But I still uh, think he'll take snaps at some point. I do too. I do too. Um, right, uh, left guard will be Luke Wattenberg. He's not leaving early. Correct. Okay. I agree. I agree. And, and who do you see backing him up, being the primary backup? MJ Ale. MJ Ale. Okay, and that's what I'm saying, thinking too. All right. So uh, center in the pivot. That's well. Then hold where... on. Hold on. If we're if we're if we're talking backups as well, then who's your backup at left tackle? Uh, it's going to be. I think Henry Bainavala will be your number one backup at both tackle spots, unless Troy Fautanu is able to come in and and be healthy. Oh, that's interesting. Ready to go. That's, that's my opinion. I think the backup could be Julius Bulow. Okay. I see. I would. I would put Bulow on the uh, right side. If, I just if think I, there's a bunch of guys that are lining up at that right tackle spot. I at some point someone's going to have to back him up, and I think it's. Bulo, well, I just least, said, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I just said uh, Henry Bainavalo. I think Henry Bainavalo is your backup left tackle, but I think he's your starting right tackle next year. Well, right, and that's why I think if yeah. you have him at a starting position, you can't have him backing up at left tackle. You got to have yeah, someone right. else in there. That's that's why I would say Julius Bulo right now. But you know, you're right. It, it could be a it could be a Fautanu. It, it could be one of those other guys for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you never know. I mean, you you talked about Roger Rosengarten. He may be talented enough. He might be backing up uh, one of those tackle spots. Yeah, if my he, only concern with Rosengarten is seeing him on the sidelines. I I think that guy needs at minimum a year in the in the weight room and in the in the nutrition program. I I just he look his legs they aren't skinny. He he looks like a skinnier version of Trey Adams coming out of high school. Well, now, if there if there was ever a position group that could follow the uh, the wisdom of Don James and saying the best time to play freshmen is when they're juniors, it's the offensive line, right? Yeah, definitely. So, yep. so okay, so let's you go have, to the pivot. But I was going to say, left, if left guard, we're pretty much con- convinced it's going to be 
Luke Wattenberg backed up by MJ Ale. Yes, that's where I think. Okay, so that's now center is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's it's just hard for me not to see Miles Morales starting. I, I just I've seen that kid live. I've seen what he's put on tape. He's faced off against arguably the best high school talent on a week to week basis in the entire country. You know, you could say there's some really good pro, uh, some really good leagues down in Texas or in, in Ohio or Pennsylvania or down in Florida, but nobody is better than the Trinity League. You know, I from a talent standpoint, and he just manhandles guys. I mean, he just gets it done. And the kid's smart. He's a hard worker. He loves Scott Huff. Scott Huff has said, "Hey, you're my guy in the pivot. I'm going to go with Miles Morales as the starter." Yeah, I I feel. I feel really good with that pick, except for there's just one little nagging thing to me, and it's not the freshman thing because they've played freshman. I mean, that that's not an issue. If you're the best guy, you're the best guy. I just wonder about the injury, if he's going to be mm-hmm. fully, fully back. Okay, you cannot question the kid's toughness. I mean, like Nick Harris, the kid is a warrior. He's already proven it at the high school level. Maybe one of the few high school linemen you can actually say that about. He's actually been through it and has played through a lot of stuff for his for his team, which is incredibly admirable and, and shows uh, that he's got a warrior mentality about him. I just wonder if they would like to get him, ideally, a year further removed from that knee injury. I, I just wonder, in the back of my head, if that's something that's going on there. Well, now, okay, so it wasn't necessarily a knee injury. It was actually like a lower leg, like an ankle um, slash, I, okay, I thought it was a knee, but yeah, yeah. it's like a broken leg, broken fibula okay. kind of thing. So, so yeah, but I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, again, we're not sure what's going on with Cole Norgard. You know, we were, you know, Chris Peterson almost made it sound like it was kind of a flip thing, like it was a fluky deal at the beginning of the season. We haven't seen him since, so we don't even know, you know, what his health situation is. If we can assume. He's back 100%. He would be the guy on the current roster that would probably make the most sense. Then again, you've got another guy in Troy Fautanu who wasn't necessarily a center in high school, but he was an interior, you know, he could play an interior lineman. That's what they uh, brought him in for. So I would I would be curious to see if he would be interested in taking some snaps and getting in there as well. So those are a couple guys in the current roster. But again, I, I, I kind of agree that everything seems to be lining up for Miles Morale, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why he picked Washington. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, right guard, do you still see Jackson Kirkland there, or do you see him possibly moving out to right tackle? I, with Henry Bainavalu and what he's shown, um, I really still like Jackson right where he's at. I, I think he, he's just kind of made that position his own, and I think that's the spot that he needs to be at. Okay. Um, and so... I think he needs to be backed up by – uh, Victor Kern. Yeah, I like Victor Kern moving inside. I just don't see a guy who's six three playing on the edge at this point. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, and we watched him in in fall camp, and he looked pretty good. But well, and six... it's been it's been done before with you know you've got guys like Senio Calamete who's you know who played in the league. He's still playing in the league, but you know they have to be unique, talented athletes at that size to be able to get that done. I'm not saying Victor Kern isn't. I just think that. His spot was probably, he was brought in to be an interior guy. I think that's where they like him. And I think that's, I don't know if that's necessarily where he sees himself, but I think that might be the place where he could make the most impact. 
Yeah. So and and so I I would agree with you. I I just see a, a 6'3", 320 mauler, three hundred and twenty pound mauler. Yeah. Uh, going out there, and then um, you know I I honestly could see um, uh, or I I think we've already kind of talked about it. I think Henry Bainavalu is probably your guy out there. Julius Bulo is a possibility. Wouldn't surprise me um, a little bit there, but uh, I think that. Um, Troy Fautanu could that be, be that guy on, on, you know, backing up either spot. Um, possibly. I mean, who knows? Nate Kaleppo, I think he's be- going to be better inside. But you just never know. So a lot of it's going to kind of depend on, on where Scott Huff sees him. Yeah, I, I do agree in the sense that I think Benavalu is the guy that, that, that should have the inside track going in. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he works maybe during the bowl practices, for instance. See if that gives us any sort of insight as to what they're thinking. But I do also agree that I think it's going to be one of those redshirt freshmen that ends up backing up that position. And it could be a guy like Bulo or a guy like Fautanu that could end up being kind of that swing tackle that could be asked to play either side. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, but that's, that's kind of where I would be leaning as well. Perfect, perfect. Right. So, and, you know, and just, and just uh, you know, moving forward a little bit on that, in terms of the impact on the offensive line, you know, are with you're looking at 2021, is it does it get the feel of they've really you know now again it's like for like, but they're also adding more guys than they would normally. Is it in part maybe because the 2021 class on the offensive line isn't looking maybe as strong as some of the other position groups because we've already been on record many times, Scott, as talking about how the 2021 class overall. Could be it could be one for the record books when you yeah, look really at Sam good, Hewer, yeah. JT Tuamalau, Emeka Ibuka, you know some of these other kids, uh, Simon. Some I mean, there's just a ton of these other kids, especially in state, that could uh, you know turn this class into one for the for the ages. But offensive line, does it feel light? It is a little light on the West Coast. Um, it's not great. It's or it's not terrible, but it's not great either. Owen Prentice is the only local guy, uh, offensive lineman, I think, just off the top of my head, that's got an offensive uh, or an offer from Washington along the offensive line. He's from O'Day, um, and I think he's a center or at most a guard uh, at the next level. So. You know, he's a guy to kind of keep an eye on us if we're talking about offensive line recruiting. And we all, you know, Huff, Brandon Huffman and I were both there we, uh, when we were talking to him and his dad. And, um, you know, we both put our crystal ball predictions in pretty quickly. And he hadn't even received an offer from Washington. But we, we just felt if Washington offered him, we felt they would, that uh, he would wind up a Husky. Now, that could obviously change, you know, with the way things go. But he's he and his family are huge UW supporters seen him at at least a couple games uh, at the University of Washington as well as practices in the fall and camp and everything like that. I That's the one guy. I, I think they probably take three uh, guys in the 20, uh, ni- you know, the 2021 class because they, um, they lose Luke Wattenberg. There's a chance they could lose Jackson Kirkland, although I don't think so. I think he ends up staying. Um but uh, you know they're they're only going to lose a few guys. I don't even think they lose that many guys from the because remember the year that Luke Wattenberg came in, they didn't take that many. Nick Harris and Luke Wattenberg, I think, were the only two guys from that class, right? I believe so. I'd have to go yeah. back and look, but yeah, they were the only two guys from that class. And Nick Harris is graduating a year earlier only because he started 
or he played a lot as a freshman, and um, Luke Wattenberg ended up redshirting. So you're really only losing one guy. And I think that, uh, you know, to graduation, there's always the possibility someone could leave early, go to the NFL or transfer. But at this point, they're only losing one guy that I'm aware of. So if you take one guy uh, to replace Luke Wattenberg and then because I think what you really want to get and, and we've talked to several of the of the of the offensive line coaches that have been through here and Keith Gilbertson's one of those guys and everything you want to have 16 or 17 scholarship guys. And I think with the five coming in this, this year, and if there's some attrition, like we think there is going to be, there's only going to be 15, I believe on scholarship from the, from on, when uh, 2019 rolls around or 2020 rolls around. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. So, uh, really quickly, and, you know, Washington obviously is on a bye week, so nothing football-related to talk about in terms of the Huskies. Uh, you know, everything, you know, we'll, we'll know a lot more Monday when we talk to Chris Peterson about how things are going uh, in the preparations for their game at Colorado. Still don't know the, the game time. That will be announced, I would assume, Sunday or Monday, maybe even as early as Sunday. But uh, we'll find out, obviously, more on that. Expecting a late time. Not hopeful for an early time, but we'll obviously see a little bit more about that uh, at the end of the weekend. What I was curious, though, Scott, is just to get uh, maybe some quick picks on who you think might uh, might win the, the five games that are being played in the Pac-12 this weekend. Let's start Stanford at Washington State. Who do you think wins that game? Um, you know what? Stanford looks terrible. Washington State doesn't look great. <laughs> it's at Wazoo. I'm going to go with Wazoo. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just I got to believe that Mike Mike uh, Leach will have them ready to go. And I just don't think Stanford's very good. I, yeah. I just I don't see a, anyone really special. You know, they got Paulson Adebo and Casey Tool on defense. And, um, you know, offensively, I think they've got some decent younger guys. Simi Fajoko looked unbelievable when he split those safeties and ran for that, what was it, like an 80-yard, 79-yard touchdown, whatever it was, yeah. uh, in that game against Colorado. So, I, But I just think Washington State's going to have enough. They're going to throw the ball around all over the place, as they usually do. Got to get Max Borgie a little bit more um, involved in the offense, not just running it, but catching it as well. And uh, I think the Cougs win by 10. Okay. Yeah, I think Washington State ends up probably winning that game. Uh, you know, both four and five at this point, kind of, you know, just kind of swimming in the middle of the Pac-12 right now, just kind of not knowing which way they're going to turn. But the one thing you can count on is that Washington State's going to put up some points. So I, I suspect that they're going to be able to do the same against Stanford. Uh, let's talk Arizona State at Oregon State. Obviously, we just got a chance to see what the Beavers are all about. They need to get back offensively in a big way playing against Arizona State, who's on a three-game losing streak. How do you see this one panning out? Boy, you know, I would normally say uh, I would think Oregon State would be able to come out and win. Do we even know if Jaden Daniels is going to play? Because he didn't play last week. It, it sounds encouraging, but, yeah, again, you just don't yeah. know until they actually line up. If, if he plays, I really think Arizona State's the better team. But that being said, 
Uh, Oregon State's played well until Washington kind of shut them down, but I don't think Arizona State's going to be able to shut them down like Washington did. That being said, I, I, I go back to what I saw, and I can't remember who it was, but it was an Oregon State beat writer on Twitter the week that they played down at Arizona. So it was the week before they played Washington, and he said these are pretty even teams, but because Oregon State is playing on the road and they play really well on the road, I think they've won their last three road conference games, correct? Something like that. I, yeah, whatever they're, it is. They're three and one on the road. Yeah. yeah. And and they've won their last I'm pretty sure they've won their last three. And with that being the case, since they're at home, I'm gonna go with Arizona State. I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna do it. Okay. <laughs> so you're so you're, you're doing the you're doing the, the reverse home jinx then. Or the, Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's just how do you eight yards in the second half against Washington. Washington played lights out in that game. Eight yards. Yeah, that is second just half, inept. Yeah. That that okay. As good as Washington was playing, that wasn't all them. That was some Oregon State inept ineptness sure. and and or ineptitude, whatever you want to call it. And I'm gonna go with. I'm just gonna go with Arizona State coming out and and because Arizona State, I think, just needs one more win for a for a bowl game. And um and I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna get there. I'll tell you what, Oregon State. And, and I said it in my prediction uh, a couple weeks ago or a week ago. How much are those guys going to be lamenting the fact that they lost to Hawaii if they if they come up with five wins? Sure. On the season? I mean, Hawaii isn't terrible, but Washington blew Hawaii out. And Oregon State was up, I think it was 28-7 or 28-14 in that game and ended up losing. Right. So I – you know, I gotta believe that Oregon State's just gonna be kicking themselves that they lost that game if they don't make a bowl game. Well, and that that's one reason why you'd almost argue for an Oregon State win is that at four and five, they're you know they're right up against the wall in terms of trying to find those wins because they won't beat Oregon. I mean, they're not gonna win the Civil War. No, but as much as Husky fans would like them to, sure, <laughs> no, no question. But they're up against it. They got to win their next two games, and that's that starts you know uh, today against uh, t- today against Arizona State. Moving on. Uh, UCLA at Utah, and I think a month ago we would have, we would have all called this a laugher. We would have all glossed it over, but now UCLA is four and two in the conference. They've won their last three games. They actually look like a program with a heartbeat now. What what's going on? What does do they do they yeah. even have a chance? I, I still don't necessarily think they have much of a chance, but at least now this game looks fairly competitive. Yes, I, I would agree with you. I still think Utah wins, but this is going to be a lot more competitive than some of us agree. I could see like a thirty to thirty to twenty seven kind of game, um, so you know thirty twenty four something like that, um, and Utah coming out with a win. And I'll tell you what, they better not look past them. I don't think Kyle Whittingham will let his team look past this game, but they better not look past UCLA because they're playing a lot better. DTR is throwing the ball around a little bit better. Josh Kelly's gotten going, and their defense isn't great, but it's it's playing a lot better than it had been. Right. Okay, good. It, yeah, I do think it's going to be competitive like that. I do think Utah playing at home definitely has the advantage. I don't think there's a quarterback in the conference playing as well as Tyler Huntley is right now. So I, I I do yeah. expect Utah to pull that thing out, but you're right. I think if it's a touchdown game, it's going to be very competitive, and it should be an entertaining one uh, for the neutral for sure. Uh, moving on, Arizona at Oregon at Autzen. Yeah, not no, much, there, not much. To no say question about this one. on this one. Oregon's if, gonna. Oregon should steamroll these guys. Yeah, I mean, if if Arizona had a semblance of a defense, you know, you might entertain some some interesting notions of a 
of a possible upset, but Arizona has given up 336 points this year. 236 in six Pac-12 games. You do the math. That's awful. That's almost 40 points a game. They're going to get crushed. Um, And finally, the last game of the night is USC at California. And this one actually looks like it could be an interesting one as well. California just is coming off a win. USC is obviously coming off a win as well. They're, you know, USC is now, they're the fourth bowl eligible team in the Pac-12 following Oregon, Utah, and Washington. Uh, Cal needs a win to get bowl eligible, but where are they going to find their points? That, that'd be my question. Yeah, I, I, I just think USC is going to have too much. If Chase Garbers was playing, could keep things alive. Because, I mean, Devin Modster is a terrible passer. He yep. is a terrible thrower of the ball, and it's just they're so one-dimensional. He might be a better runner than Chase Garbers is, but Garbers could pick and choose his spots, and and he could throw the ball around a little bit um, unless he's back, and I don't believe he is. I think he's um, close. I, yeah, I think he's, he's close. I, I think there was, close. yeah, I think there was some talk that that maybe this was the week that that it could happen, but I just wonder if this is a week too soon. Yeah, and and I'll tell you what, they want to beat Stanford. They want to beat Stanford like nobody's business. Right. And um, they've got Stanford the following week. I, I just I think Washington. All right, Washington. I think Cal will keep it close for a little while, but I think you know Keaton Slovis is playing really really well, um, especially for a true freshman just coming in there and doing his thing. So um, yeah, I I think I think this one's going to be USC, not in a laugher, but USC should win relatively comfortably. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think that Slovis has shown that uh, he can rise to the challenge for sure, and he certainly looks like he's back to the to the way he was playing when he first came in uh, to spell JT Daniels. So those are the games this week, this this uh, you know this weekend. I also want to make sure that we touch a little bit on uh, Washington's basketball game. They are already in Toronto. They play today at two o'clock on ESPN Plus, which is basically their streaming version of ESPN. So it won't be on television proper. It'll be on a stream. You're going to need to find someone that has some internet capabilities, or you can watch it on your phone, I suppose. But uh, you know, Washington is now ranked number twenty in the country, and they go to play Tennessee in Toronto as part of this Naismith Hall of Fame Classic. Uh, I, I believe it's at the Scotiabank Arena. And, uh, you know, Coach Hopkins just picked up his 50th win as Washington's coach, beating Mount St. Mary's by 10. They were tied at half. It was a very uh, rough-looking first half, but I think it was definitely one of those uh, emotional letdown-type games where maybe in years past they could get upset. But uh, after beating number 16 Baylor in Anchorage, uh, they were probably ripe to fall just a little bit. But they came back strong and uh, looked all right in terms of closing out this game against Mount St. Mary's. And Mount St. Mary's, give them credit, they were a team uh, early in the season. I think in their first game they were playing Georgetown, and they had them up 19 in the first half before eventually losing. So I I expect Mount St. Mary's is a team that's probably going to do some damage a little bit. I don't know if they'll make the tournament. Obviously it's too early to find that out. But uh, this game against Tennessee will really, I think, be another barometer game to see where the Huskies are at. And if they can get past them, now all of a sudden you're going all the way until that December 8th game uh, in Seattle against Gonzaga. And that will be obviously the, the big, big non-conference test to really see where the where the Huskies are at going into, the, going into conference play. So 
Right now, um, you know, it's interesting. I was kind of wondering where Matisse Thibel's production in terms of blocks and steals was going to end up, who was going to take over for that. We knew everyone uh, knew that uh, Washington was going to be pretty athletic defensively and, and bringing in some 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 real blue-chip kids and Isaiah Stewart and, and Jaden McDaniels, those kids. Well, right now they currently lead the NCAA in blocks with uh, 11 per game. Now, granted, it's only two-game stretch, so it's a small sample size, but that's still pretty incredible. Uh, and so, you know, they, they've shown defensively they can they can slow, slow guys down. They, they still need to kind of find themselves a little bit more offensively, and I think this game today is going to really show uh, people that, uh, you know, if they can get it done again in a neutral site game over a really good Tennessee team, this is not going to necessarily be the NCAA tournament Tennessee team that played last year. They lost some guys, but they're still very, very talented. Rick Barnes, the head coach there, who was the former uh, Texas head coach, does a fantastic job recruiting every year. And so I think he's, uh, you know, he's always going to have guys that are ready to play. So if they can get past uh, Tennessee, then obviously they've set themselves, Washington set themselves up to do some real damage in the non-conference, setting themselves up for, again, like I said, that uh, game with Gonzaga. So finally, Scott, just uh, how we want to wrap things up for this weekend, what are you going to be looking for as Washington uh, continues to prepare uh, for their second, I guess their, their penultimate game of the season against Colorado? Yeah, uh, well, I, I'd really still like to see some of these uh, younger guys getting getting more playing time. I think I want to see what Ulufosio, uh, Edifawan Ulufosio, is able to do um, now that teams kind of have seen some tape on him and how they how they plan to block him. I want to see more of Jacob Sermon. I got, I'm sorry, uh, Jackson Jackson Sermon. Um, you know the secondary guys are playing pretty well. I want to see. I want to see Joe Tryon continue to pick things up. I think Washington's offense, um, as far as you know, Jacob Eason, they are where they are at this point, and you're just going to have to hope you get some some better stuff out of them defensively. I think this is is what Washington's going to have to rely upon to win games because offensively they might put up some numbers, but the defense, you know, against Utah and Oregon, granted they're top five, uh, top ten teams, but their defense didn't help them in, in those games. And the offense didn't help matters either toward the end. But the defense really should have been been able to hold up, and it, and it wasn't. And I think Washington's offense is what it is. So the better the play from the defense, the better they, the Huskies are going to be this coming week against uh, Colorado, then against Washington State at home and in their bowl game. Yeah, I think there's no question about it. Um you, know, you want to see if the deep defensive performance that they had against Oregon State, you want to, you want to find out if that was just a, a one-off or if that really shows that they've taken the next step, right? You know that they that it's not a fluke. This is this is who we thought they were going to be going into the season. So you want you want to see that and you know or Colorado's going to do it a little differently than Oregon State is offensively. I mean, they're not, you know, we're not talking about a massively uh, prolific offense. I mean, LaVisca Chenault, clearly one of the best receivers in America, if not the, you know, maybe the, the, the most dangerous guy in the Pac-12, maybe we can say, when he's 100% healthy. But other than that, you know, Steven Montez is a guy that's been around, has certainly earned his stripes in the Pac-12 as a guy that can be dangerous on his day. But you're right. I mean, if, if Washington's defense can can build on the performance that they had 
against Oregon State and show that it wasn't a fluke. I think the offense has shown that when they've had their bad days, when they've had games where they've had multiple drops or have just kind of gotten in their own way, that they have fixed that problem and kind of moved on and, and have done some good things the following game. So I do want to see if that that kind of trend continues. At the same time, you have to obviously wonder when is this when is this team going to find itself uh, in terms of an offensive philosophy. It just doesn't seem to have been there all year long. I think they've wanted to try to run the ball. I think they've done a decent job of running the ball at times, but. With Jacob Eason, are they a downfield throwing team? Are they a guy? Are they ones that that want to use the shorter game to to help supplement the the run game? You know, I know they want to try to mix it up and be multiple to keep defenses off balance, but it, it just feels like a lack of execution more than anything else has really hamstrung them. So I want to see how they bounce back essentially from the Oregon State game. I think that's the biggest thing for me. So yeah. I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Um, We'll have obviously plenty of stuff going into the Colorado game. We'll be kind of back into the normal grind of of game week and everything like that. And then obviously uh, we'll have a recap and and talk a little bit more about that uh, that Washington Tennessee basketball game in Toronto. So for uh, Scott Eckland, I'm Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. <laughs>